Well, good afternoon, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Always a pleasure and an honor to uh, fill in in Jeff's stead. He's pretty much done for all of 2018, and good for him. Well-deserved time off. We have got a lot of stuff to get to. I do, however, have to start with a mini-gloat. Now, my memory is not what it used to be. I think I forgot to do this when I filled in for Steve on Black Friday. I think I forgot to do this. If I, You know what, if I'm wrong about that, though, and I actually did this back then, that's okay. I'm going to just gloat a little bit again, but I don't think I did. So I was on WTMJ uh, quite a bit in October, and that included a point where the final, I believe, Marquette University Law School poll came out. And I talked about how, or it was the second to last, doesn't matter. Anyway, we talked about how interesting it was that there was a wide gap in the U.S. Senate race favoring Tammy Baldwin, and that was the second to last, because at that time, there was a teeny little lead for Scott Walker, and how could this be? And I remember getting a number of texts at that time. Uh, you're naive if you believe any of those polls. Now, I don't. I, you know, why would I put that inflection? That inflection, that's not fair. That's not, I have no idea what the person was sounding like, as they texted. They asked, I have to be fair here, they just simply asked, or you have to be naive, they stated, if you believe any of those polls. And what I said, and I, and I also said I disagree with, with Jeff on this. I know Jeff has soured on the NU Law School poll. And that is, uh, I still think it is the gold standard in the state. If I did forget to gloat about this when I was on uh, Black Friday, in fact, the MU Law School poll nailed the Wisconsin elections this time about as close as you possibly can. Uh, the, the, the one, if you're going to really quibble, AG, and they did see that one narrow. Again, I, I may have shared that last time, but I just wanted well, because there are those on both sides who have soured on that poll. The left, uh, particularly Scott Ross at One Wisconsin Now, suggesting that it's paid for by conservatives, which has made no sense because it showed a huge lead. For Baldwin, which turned out to be true, those on the right, uh, conservative talk show hosts, several of them saying it's it's now a bad poll. The evidence does not support that. Later in the show, not all that much later, maybe before, either before or after 1 o'clock, we'll see how it works out. I seem to be in a minority on something based on a survey of one that I did with Steve Scafidi a few minutes ago. I really do not enjoy the choreographed NFL touchdown celebrations. I don't know if you know the chronology on this. At one point, the NFL basically prohibited choreographed or staged or prepared touchdown celebrations. Then, in spring of 2017, they announced for the 2017 NFL season, it was back with some, they were back with some restrictions. It took about a year, I guess, for NFL players to really embrace this, and you are seeing it now. And I have bounced this off several people, and most people that I've bounced it off are like, yeah, you're making a big deal about nothing. There's really nothing wrong with planning a touchdown celebration. I want to, I want to tell you a little later in the show what bothers me about it, or just, well, I don't know if bothers the right word, but why I think it's not a good idea. And we'll see what you think. Uh, we'll get to that a little later in the show. I want to start 
this hour with this. So let me set this up, and uh, then we will. I'd like to take some calls on this. My understanding is that Jeff Wagner, in fact, at least touched on this briefly on Friday. I want to jump into it head first. And my wife and I, as parents who used to have kids, well, we still have kids. Watch your grammar, Jerry, whose kids used to be uh, musicians in high school. And we dealt with this, but at a much different level. This is the Jim Stingle column that posted online Friday morning at jsonline.com. If kids play the anthem at a Bucks game, should dad and mom pay 66 bucks each to get in? Here's the deal, or in Steve Samansky's view, not much of a deal. They have two kids, 14-year-old Tommy, 10-year-old Ryan. They will be performing the national anthem before a Milwaukee Bucks game in January. They get in free, which only seems right. But if their parents want to see the boys play the Star Spangled Banner on violin and sit with them in the stands, it's 66 bucks each. So the father, if I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly, Samansky, emailed Jim Stingle. And here's what the email said. I'm curious if you are interested in the story about the Milwaukee Bucks using child musicians to play the national anthem, but revealing to parents after they have signed their kids up. It will cost the parents 66 bucks each to see their children perform and claiming that they are receiving a group rate. Why are multi-billionaires who already received hundreds of millions of dollars from taxpayers hoodwinking parents? So Stingle points out, and I agree, living in Green Bay and going to a fair number of Packers games, 66 bucks does not generate sticker shock for Stingle anymore, nor does it for me. Uh, when he pressed Samansky on what would be a fairer price, the dad said, "Ah, 20, 25 bucks. Now, he also points out, does Stingle, that the boys, Tommy and Ryan, are not, it's not like they're doing a duet. There are 28 other Suzuki program classmates from the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music, all playing violins, violas, cellos, plus three teachers. It's a January 7th game against the Utah Jazz. This group got 33 tickets in the lower bowl for free, and we were happy to do it. It's a terrific organization. Bucks spokesman Barry Baum told Stingle, adding that the Bucks donate thousands of tickets a year in the youth program. But So you can see how this would start extrapolating out. You've got 33 kids, and then you've got the parents, so they couldn't give them all freebies. And apparently, uh, the 66 is a reduced rate. I can't find it right now, but I think it was, it'd be $80 normally. At the time the group accepted the invitation, the least expensive tickets available, the game 66 in the lower bowl. Part of Zemanski's dissatisfaction this time around stems from his memory of 2016 when the conservatory kids performed the anthem for a Bucks game at the old BMO Harris Bradley Center. The kids, parents, and grandparents, and other family and friends were all allowed in free that time. So let me cut to the chase here. My wife and I actually, I told her, I said, I, I want to have not, not a debate, but a conversation with you. Her big thing was she agreed with the dad here, before you signed up the kids, you should have known it was going to be 66 bucks. I said, well, if it had been our two kids, would that have stopped us? Let's say they were going to perform as part of a group, the National Anthem at a Bucks game. If we found out first it was going to cost us about 130 some bucks to get in, would we have said no? She was, oh, no. 
But she's saying it would have been nice to know anyway, even though it wouldn't have precluded. But I think it is an interesting point. So I throw this out to you. Is the father being reasonable, unreasonable, whining? Does he have a point? Doesn't he have a point? I do have an opinion on this, but I want to hear from you first at the Econet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. 1216 News Radio, WTMJ. WTMJ and our friends at today's TMJ4 need your help to feed the hungry. Today's TMJ4 drop off or dial an all-day holiday food drive when we want to fill our lobby with healthy, non-perishable food. This Wednesday, 6A to 7P. You don't even have to get out of the car to donate. We'll have volunteers standing by to take your donation as you pull through our driveway. 720 East Capitol Drive. Stop by tomorrow. Uh, stop by to help those in need. Now, we are talking about the parents, the dad specifically, who's upset. His kids are going to be part of a performance of the national anthem. They are musicians, not singers. And then he found out for he and his wife to get in, 66 bucks a pop. Stingle points out they both make a pretty good living, so it's not as though it's going to send them to the poorhouse. I don't remember, but he points out what both of their professions are. And in Jim Stingle's estimation, they should be able to afford this. We have a bunch of texts on this already. Uh, let's see. I think they can give the tickets to the parents at 20 bucks a pop. They're going to make revenue, soft drinks, candy, food, so on. Lena writes, Dad contacting Stingle was immature and vindictive. Another text, uh, Carl and Milton, 132 is sticker shock to some families, which, by the way, I do agree. Uh, what's the street life thing? They're paid professionals standing watching during the anthem, standing. And then Steve from Beaver Dam, I'm afraid you could give them free ticks and some will gripe about having to pay for the hot dogs. The Bucks can't win. Uh, another one said, why, why do parents think that they, always, they have to go to everything? In fact, we have a call to that effect. Dan in Milwaukee. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Yep, how are we doing? Good. So, yeah, that's my thing on there. That's kind of back to... You know, modern-day parents' involvement with the kids. The kids were invited. They're into a group. Everything, they get the excitement of going in there. You don't have to feel you're entitled or have to go to every single event or sporting game or practice that your kids go to. If you elect to, it could be, what's the next one? That group could be playing uh, out of town and then do they want the hotel rooms because they want to go watch their kids it's the kids event it's not the parents event i think they should pay well uh, all right, Dan, thanks a lot for the call. I will uh, leave it at that. Uh, now, my wife and I brought up this element of it. Our kids were in the marching band in high school, uh, basketball games and high school football games. I went to a lot of high school football games. Now, it didn't cost $66 a piece. I want to be very clear on that. But we knew that if we wanted to go see our kids at halftime, and we were halftime parents, we would sit through the first half, we would wait and watch our watch for our kids to perform in the band at halftime, make sure we spotted them, take pictures, zoom in, and all of that. And unless it was a game, I really, and there were, there was Ashwaubenon on high school in the Green Bay area, and there were some games that were pretty exciting. I don't know still, though, if we ever stayed all that. We might have. There were some really good games. But otherwise, we just bolted. 
But we, and I'll admit, it was very meager. It wasn't, you know, like I said, it wasn't 66. It was, I don't know, less than $10 a ticket. I remember that for sure. But we understood that we had to pay that. I think Dan made an interesting point. Is, is this a sense of entitlement on the part of the father? It's great if he wants to, and he and his wife want to take part, but should they feel entitled? And was it wrong that they weren't, for want of a better term, warned that it was going to be 66 bucks a piece? I want to take a few more calls on this. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. If you want to get in, just one more segment on this, and we'll pick that up in two minutes. 1223 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner, 1225 News Radio WTMJ. Is the dad in the Jim Single column whining? Complaining? Does he have a point? His kids are going to perform the part of their their two musicians out of about thirty of the national anthem at a Bucks game next month. Then he found out after he said, "Yeah, sure, they can do that." It's sixty six bucks each for his wife and he to take part or not take part, but attend. He felt that those sticker shock that they should have been made aware before they signed off on their kids going. What do you think? 414-799-1620 to Kevin and Wabatosa. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jerry. It's a great show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, I was an assistant coach for a high school basketball team, and the team um, saved money and had the opportunity to play at the Bradley Center. And um, it was a great experience. The players and the coaches were given a ticket, but it was set from the from the start that um, family members would be given the opportunity to buy a discounted ticket uh, if they wanted to watch uh, their kids play. And it was completely fair, completely reasonable um, for for them to pay that. And there was no balking or complaining. I kind of feel like this has um, something to do with the new Pfizer Forum, the Bucks winning and being such a hot ticket um, and less to do about the kids performing at halftime or at the start of the game. Well, you, you know, you make a good point, and that, in fact, does come up, because the, his kids actually have performed at a Bucks game before, and it was BMO Harris, obviously. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, but thanks a lot for the good call, Kevin. Appreciate it. So, obviously, it, it was different. And here's the thing. If you take, so this is one game. And I don't know how often that this organization of the Bucks get together, but I'm guessing that this happens fairly often. You've got, uh, you know, what, 41 home games? I'm, I'm assuming that happens pretty often. Clearly, the Bucks are one of the better teams in the NBA this season. You have to consider that. So I don't know that the 66... Uh, Dollars is all that unreasonable. However, uh, there's a, a lot of texts about the dad. Maybe the dad was looking to get his name in the newspaper. You don't want to make the assumptions, uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, the, Kurt in Waukesha feels that the... He's, he's a little surprised that they're complaining as much as they are. They pay for music lessons... They, they can afford all of that, and, and I get that point. Here's my take on this. 
And this actually does come from walking through this with my wife and, and issues she raised. So what she said is, I really think the parents should have known how much it was going to cost them to get in before they agreed to have their kids perform. Okay, but then, I, I, as I said, I followed up. But, honey, you mean then if we checked and it was 66 apiece, we, assuming this was the first time for our kids, uh, no, you know, we would have gone anyway. I can relate to this a little bit. My wife and I chaperoned when our kids performed in the uh, city of New York, St. Patty's Day Parade in 2011. Holy cow, that was a long time ago. Anyway, uh, we chaperoned, and we still had to pay something. And I don't remember how much. And chaperoning was it was sleeping on a bus the whole time. But we understood what we were getting into. That's about the only thing that I can say here. And I do think it was Dan in Milwaukee that made a really good point. Yeah, yeah, as a parent, you want to go to as many of these things as you can. I missed some things as a parent. All right, we've got a call. We'll sneak in here super-duper fast. Tony in Brookfield. Tony, go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, actually, um, oh, where'd you go? Tony? Oh, uh, we had Tony. Tony was either abducted or he has an issue with his uh, cell phone. So, Tony, we are not going to be able to get you in. Uh, but I appreciate you giving it a try. That does happen at times. Uh, one final text. Was the child's ability to take part in the national anthem contingent upon the parent coming along? No. The parent does not have to come along. If not, the parent should have no expectations to even be allowed to watch, much less receive free tickets. Well, I, I, they can certainly watch. They just have to pay. On to other things after the news. It is 1230. The Red Hot Milwaukee Bucks continue their surge through the NBA, this time hoping for a victory against the Pistons in Motown. Ted Davis on the call. Our coverage from Detroit starts with Buck shots at 5.30 tonight. Jerry in for Jeff, 12.35. Now, I said Detroit there. I don't know if you ever know, a lot of people say Detroit. Uh, it's Detroit, right? Uh, but it, movies, uh, others, Detroit. As, you know... Not to be confused with another Detroit, Detroit. I don't know, but I've heard you've heard that, haven't you? Detroit. I I say Detroit. Anyway, whatever it is, <laughs> that is who the Bucks are playing. I want to I want to mention this briefly. Now, after one o'clock, we'll be talking with political reporter for the Cap Times, Jesse Poyan. And I'm going to ask her about something, but I just want to mention it now. And this is one of those things. Is it a big deal or is it a media-generated big deal? My honest, legitimate answer here is I'm not sure. What am I referring to? I am referring to Governor Scott Walker in announcing in Green Bay. By the way, people from outside of Wisconsin, you talk about Detroit, Green Bay. You can usually tell a native or non-native. Green Bay versus Green Bay. When Governor Walker was in Green Bay on Friday, he, of course, he was at a state building there in downtown Green Bay and signed into law all of the lame duck bills. In doing so, he used a visual aid. Oh, when visual aids go bad. He used a visual aid to make the case that there is very little difference between uh, virtually none 
versus the powers he has and the powers that Tony Evers, governor-elect, will have, even though he signed into law things that Democrats and others, and I to a degree, claim limit Evers' power. Nope. So what he did is what appeared to be an attempt at a Venn diagram. If you don't know what a Venn diagram is, and I'm sure you've heard the story, but if you haven't, somehow, a Venn diagram is where you try to make the case how things, two things that have a lot of things different also have things the same. And you represent each entity with a circle. Where the sameness exists, the circles overlap. What would be an example? John Kennedy and Richard Nixon. Okay? A lot of differences there, right? The two I just pulled this out of thin air. The two candidates for the 1960 presidential election, which, of course, Kennedy won. If you were to, in a Venn diagram, put the things they share in common, you overlap the two circles, and where they overlap, you would put military veteran, served in Congress, male, and so on. Walker's Venn diagram whiffed at this badly because then what you would have outside the overlap area in each circle you would have you know Kennedy a Democrat and Nixon a Republican you would have the differences outside the overlapped area right yeah this Venn diagram didn't do that it had the similarities the same things outside and then said same powers it, it when it grows up it wanted to be a Venn diagram now This, of course, went like wildfire on social media. Just went nuts. (sighs) Is it just ripping on Walker as he's out the door? Is it media bias? Is it... Okay. Clearly, any opening Walker gives, the media and those on the left are going to take. My take is, I thought it was pretty embarrassing. And I think that embarrassment was exacerbated by... Walker being replaced by an educator. I, now, I, I will say this. I haven't. I don't remember the last time I've done a Venn diagram. It was probably when my kids, who are now both adults, had to do them in school. And I probably would have been rusty at it, but isn't that what he has staff for? It, it's, uh, I, I really thought it was a facepalm moment. And pretty embarrassing. It's just just the little thing sometimes can make a difference. All right. In two minutes, I want to set this up and I'm going to get your thoughts. Is it just me? My position on the choreographed NFL touchdown celebrations. 1239 News Radio WTMJ. 1242 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. So I got a text. Why do you think Walker made that Venn diagram himself? No, I don't. And that's why I ask. Nobody in Walker world know how to make a Venn diagram. But you stand in front of it, you own it. So no, you, I don't give Walker a pass. Well, he didn't do it himself. Uh-uh. Nobody, neither Scott Walker nor anybody who prepared that knew, didn't know that that's what a di- a, that's not how a Venn diagram works. I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world. I'm saying it's it's a little embarrassing. I'm not ripping on what. 
You can't even... Okay, okay, Jerry Bader, you are ripping on Walker saying he was replaced by an educator. If ever Evers is an educator, why did he plagiarize during the election? I... I criticize Tony Evers for that plagiarism. This is the thing. We can't ever admit when somebody on our side makes a mistake. And again, I'm not saying it's Walker's personal mistake. I'm saying it was kind of embarrassing. I've done embarrassing things publicly. You have to own them. It's embarrassing. I'm not saying it defines his whole time in office. I'm saying it's embarrassing. That's all. I didn't rip on him. Some people have an amazing (laughs) definition of rip. I didn't disparage him. I didn't question his intelligence. I'm saying it's an embarrassing moment that nobody in Walker World knew how to do. And and it's always whataboutism. I criticize on this radio station. I criticize Tony Evers for the plagiarism. What about Evers? That was wrong. But sometimes people we support, people we as conservatives vote for, sometimes they deserve criticism. I'm not ripping on him. I'm saying it was an embarrassing red-faced moment. We have them. Do I think it was overplayed on social media, the criticism? Yes. The viciousness? Yes. But it was kind of embarrassing. All right. In responding to those two texts, I took up two or three minutes more than I wanted to on that topic. Uh yeah, so, yeah, another texter. Sorry, but a professional in any field should at least review the paperwork or visual aids before stepping on stage. At the very least, this was sloppy work, well, not, maybe by Walker, maybe, maybe by those who prepared it for him. It was sloppy work. I was not making a federal case out of it, but now I have to defend it like it's a federal case. On to other things. This is interesting because I, and I need to do this quickly because I want to finish this up by 1 o'clock. I was watching the Eagles-Cowboys game a week ago yesterday with a friend where the Philly offense could not move on the Cowboys' defense. And then they got a turnover to the Eagles way deep in the, in the Cowboys' territory, and they scored. And they had this pre-choreographed NFL celebration, the touchdown celebration, which I just, I, I'm, I'm not a fan so the Cowboys take offense because they, I mean, the Eagles offense couldn't move on the Cowboys defense, and there was almost a fight. This, is, this was new in 2017. They brought back some celebrations, and now it's been in place for a year, and they're getting more and more elaborate in their choreography. Troy Aikman said it's getting out of hand. What happens if there's an all-out helmet-swinging, neck-biting, stomping brawl breaks out in the end zone? What will the NFL do? I think that's a good point. But here's my point. I don't like the idea. I just don't like the idea of throwing yourself a parade, the self-aggrandizement. Clearly, you were planning for the possibility that you would score a touchdown, so you choreographed this little performance. I just, you know, I'm I'm of the old school, act like you've been there. Or that it's you're doing your job, and that's it. It's, it's just really that simple. Fine, go ahead. You know, if the, I, Now, it's become choreographed, the jumping in the stands, but when it first happened, it was spontaneous. And I still, it's a, you know, there's no planning there. It's been done for almost 20 years now. 
So I, or 25 years. So I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with spontaneous celebrations in the end zone brought on by passion, enthusiasm, and excitement. The planning stuff to me is just like planning your own parade. But I appear to be in a minority on this. So if you have any thoughts, you can call the ICANN Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620. Make it fast, though. 1247 News Radio WTMJ. 1250. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So, I may be alone on this. I may, I may just be alone on this. I, have not, I don't know that I've found anyone yet that entirely agrees with me. I, I, it's not a matter of being annoyed with the touchdown celebrations in the NFL. Here's, here's the problem I have with it. And I've got a couple of ways to slice this. And again, if you want to get in, I'm only taking this to 1 o'clock because we have a guest after the 1 o'clock news. The Econet uh, Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Just the concept, I, I use the analogy of throwing yourself a parade. Thinking, all right, if I score a touchdown, I want to have a plan for a choreographed performance on how I'm going to celebrate it. In, at the end of the day, you're doing your job. And by the way, I don't think all touchdowns are created equal. I think a game-winning touchdown, I, I think I get it, totally get it. I, but I would still, to me, it would be spontaneous. Text, end zone celebrations are similar to our current environment of Kardashians. Social distribution being funny. And then he throws Trumpism in there. But anyway, I I just don't like the planning part. I, I to, to me, it's, it's uh, self-aggrandizement. Let me give you a quick example of that. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll take some calls, and then I will give you another example of what I have in mind here. To Pam in Greenfield. Pam, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. A lot of people might not remember, but Walter Payton was an outstanding yes. football player, and it was his job. He got a touchdown. He never celebrated. He gave the ball to the rest and went running back. I remember it well, and the only bear I've ever loved, Pam. I <laughs> Walter yeah. Payton. He, he awesome, was you know, just, and, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you he, go ahead. He, he respected the game, and he was a no-show man. And, that's and what I you know, he let his feet do the talking. I, yeah. I mean, it's just the guy was spectacular. Pam, thanks a lot for the call. Just an amazing person and an amazing football player. To Charlie in Watertown. Charlie, go ahead. These guys get paid a lot of money. Why should they have to act like uh, special performers? Do their job and let it go at that. You know, I, I largely agree with that. What I would say, I could see under some circumstances, Charlie, a spontaneous celebration in a, in a major moment, winning touchdown in the last seconds of a game. I could see, but once you plan it, once you choreograph it, then I just think it loses that meaning. Well, I don't even agree with you on doing it at the oh. end of the game. Like I say, oh. it's your job. 
Do your job and enjoy it. Uh, Charlie, thanks a lot for the call. I largely agree with that. What I would say is I can understand the emotionalism that could lead, you know, remember remember when spiking the ball, there was, should you spike the ball? Uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, who's the player that gets credit for the first spike? It was uh, Billy White Shoes Johnson. Was that him? And that was considered, oh, boy, is that really something you should do? And then that became boring. And and then and let me give you an example. I get what Charlie's saying, but in terms of the spontaneous, remember, that is how the Lambeau Leap started. They were playing the Raiders in Lambeau. It's, it's got to be right around the 25th anniversary. It's got to be really close. If I, I believe it was against the Raiders in 93. And Reggie White recovered a fumble, and he laterals it to uh, Leroy Butler, who takes it the distance and then spontaneously did a Lambeau leap. Then, of course, it became tradition at uh, Lambeau Field. I get what Charlie's saying, but under certain circumstances, uh, other uh, George is pointing out Barry Sanders. Now, here's something, all right, and I don't think this is a coincidence. We've had two players mentioned now, Walter Payton and Barry Sanders, two of the very best running backs ever to play in the NFL. And they are being singled out, rightly so, by listeners as being class acts. I could not agree more. And I think the high caliber at which they perform speaks to that. I guess we're, yeah, you get excited and you, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay with that. It happens. And again, especially under, you know, what circumstances do you score the touchdown? The Eagles were, or I should say the Cowboys were hacked off because the, they had held that Eagle offense in check in the first half. In the second half, both offenses started moving the ball more effectively. But in the first half, the Eagles offense was just hitting brick walls when it ran into the Cowboys' defense. So they get the ball like on the four or five-yard line, and then they score, and they make this big deal about it. And I, I, I agree, the more sophisticated, the more elaborate these get, you're going to see tempers flare. I just... Uh, here's another... Uh, okay, two examples on this. One, I do wonder about the example that it sets for kids that I deserve this huge celebration every time I do what I'm supposed to do. Two, this story did not get a lot of play outside of Northeast Wisconsin. The Green Bay mayor, Jim Schmidt, is not seeking re-election in April. He briefly toyed with the idea of running for Brown County Executive, but he's not doing that either. And he's been mayor since, I think, 2003, but I could be wrong, something like that. So... He is throwing himself a party. This resulted in tremendous embarrassment on Jim Schmidt's part, even though he technically did not make the mistake. Those organizing, arranging this, sent the invitations out basically to everyone in his address book. That would include his political enemies. And this this invitation is the epitome of self-aggrandizement. You get invited to his party, but then you have to give, the, and there's different levels of giving to be able to attend the party, and it's pretty pricey. 
Well, then, because a lot of his political enemies, you know, it's, it's all of his contacts. And there were a lot of people who got this invitation that Jim Schmidt would not want at that party, the mayor of Green Bay. So he sent out an uninvitation. He uninvited the select people that he wouldn't want there. Ah, it's really embarrassing. Now, you could blame the people that were involved in organizing, or, to keep the analogy straight here, choreographing the celebration for Jim Schmidt, even though it's his idea, he wants it. You could blame them. But if you don't throw a party for yourself, this can't happen. It's not a perfect analogy, and I'm not claiming that it is. But i, I got to tell you, um, now we did get a couple of calls agreeing with me, got a few texts agreeing with me, but most of the people that I have bounced this off including another talk show host, say, eh, I don't really agree with that on this one, Jerry. It's really just not that big a deal. All right, coming up, after the 1 o'clock news, we are going to talk about the lame duck session, what will split government look like, and what happens to a country when it's okay for politicians to lie all the time. We'll get to at least some of that in the 1 o'clock hour. 1259 News Radio WTMJ. Howdy, howdy, Wisconsin. Hour two of the Jeff Wagnerless show. Jerry Bader sitting in. Thanks for being along. Appreciate that. We are joined now on the live. We'll talk uh, all things politics in a second here with Cap Times political reporter and friend of the show, Jesse Poy. And Jesse, how you doing? Hi, Jerry. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, absolutely. So before we get to politics, I must mention, before 1 o'clock, I guessed aloud that we were coming up on the 25th anniversary of the Lambo Leap. The Lambo <laughs> Leap was invented... Hey, here you go, Wikipedia. The Lambo Leap was invented by safety Leroy Butler, who scored uh, after a Reggie White fumble recovery, I even described it accurately, and lateral against the Raiders on December 26th, 1993. 25 years a week from Wednesday. You know what that means, Jesse? What does that mean, Jerry? It means I'm old. <laughs> I could, no, I could I actually... <laughs> I was all of two you, years old then. <laughs> yeah, stop it. You don't need to rub it in. I, I was, uh, we, don't, we don't care. We don't care how old I was. All right, so uh, you, you reported on the governor's event in Green Bay on Friday. Let me just read from the AP how they reported this. And, and you know, you've covered this very closely. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker signed a sweeping package of Republican-written legislation Friday that restricts early voting and weakens the incoming Democratic governor and attorney general, brushing aside complaints that he is enabling a brazen power grab and ignoring the will of voters. Now, Governor Walker understood that there was efforts to make that his legacy, that you know, Governor-elect Evers said, that's going to be your legacy, what you're doing here. And then there was a, a Twitter storm a weekend ago. Uh, no, this is my legacy, and that's my legacy, and this is my legacy. As an objective observer, can, can you talk about, analyze his ability to shift that and say, no, that's not going to be my legacy? 
a legacy is sort of the sum of all the parts, right? So this is certainly going to be something that will be discussed as people do look back on on Governor Walker's two terms in office. Um, you know, I think, as you mentioned, he spent a lot of time the last week or especially last few days uh, highlighting things that he wants to be known as his legacy, you know, low unemployment rates, workforce development, things like that, the Foxconn deal. Uh, at the same time, you know, this is something that caught national attention, much like Act 10 did back in the day. And, and I think, you know, these will be sort of viewed in uh, the, the broader picture with all of those things. Um, you know, the, the other thing that he mentioned in terms of legacy last week is uh, this, this deal with Kimberly Clark to keep them from closing a plant in the Fox Valley uh, when he was up in Fox Crossing signing that uh, or announcing that piece of legislation, that deal with the Wisconsin Economic uh, Development Corporation. He said, if there's any talk about a legacy, I want this to be my legacy. Yeah, and I want to get to that. I want to get to the Kimberly Clark issue in in just a minute. So, as you know, I know that you've done uh, a, a lot of homework on this on the debate over the lame duck. What session and the bills that came out? What Governor Walker and Republicans are saying is this is being. They're very clear, Jesse. They're blaming you, not directly you, but the <laughs> yes, but the yes. media. That they're, they're saying, well, look, the media has just mischaracterized this. This is not the power grab that they say. Evers and Democrats and their defenders, yes, it is. Here's how it's different. Is there an objective analysis that can tell us who's right? <laughs> These things are always more complicated <laughs> I, than that, I think. But no, I, yeah. you know, I think I think there have been comparisons made to, um, I guess, anytime there's a shift in power, there's a little bit of scrambling to, um, you know, try to usher things through that you um, are afraid, you know, might not happen under the next administration. I think the difference here between um, previous examples is the way that this affects um, the, the executive branch and the way that it affects uh, the attorney general's office, which I think has been uh, discussed a little bit less, but there are some pretty significant changes there, too. So, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of national attention on this, and I think that's what um, lawmakers and, and Governor Walker have objected to specifically, that, that this is being overblown yeah. in that uh, area. But, um, yeah, you know, there, there are some, some significant changes. It just sort of depends on from where you're sitting how significant they really are. Well, and in fact, let's here's here's the quote from Governor Walker. There's a lot of hype and hysteria, particularly in the national media, implying this is a power shift. Walker said before signing the measures, it is not. Now, and I think you can speak to this, Jesse, because I have experienced this when I see reporting from outside Wisconsin about things going on inside Wisconsin, be it from the national media, being. Uh, from conservative talk show hosts, and I know you can relate to this. You've been a guest on national cable news shows as as well as I have, and they'll throw a question at you, and you're like, yeah, okay, they're, they're too far away from this, and they don't understand. So is it perhaps a fair criticism by Governor Walker, and maybe not the way he intends it, that when you're not boots on the ground, when you are from 30,000 feet or further, that that you don't have the insight that an in-state reporter does. That's not a criticism. Sometimes it's just a reality. Yeah, I, I think that is a challenge. I think, um, you know, not not just the fact that there aren't people here every day reporting on it, but the, the just the way that those news cycles work. Um, you know, you can't really spend a whole lot of time on uh, national cable news delving into the details on a lot of policies like this. Um, things get put into a broader context. So, um, you know, Wisconsin being discussed in the context with Michigan, with North Carolina, uh, states that have done similar things, but, you know, each of them has approached a little bit differently. 
So it's hard to delve into the details a whole lot when you're coming at it from a national angle, um, whereas, you know, those of us who are here on a daily basis may get into the nitty-gritty details, but maybe not everyone's paying attention to the nitty-gritty details either. I were going to ask Jesse to stay with us for one more segment. I, I do want to get to Kimberly Clark, and I want to get to what Wisconsin might look like with divided government, and is the lame duck session a preview of that, or can th- some things get done? We'll get to that in two minutes. 116 News Radio, WTMJ. 118 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader and for Jeff Wagner, we are talking with Cap Times political reporter Jesse Apoy. Jesse, I do want to talk a little bit about the Kimberly Clark uh, tax incentive package, which ultimately got passed. And by the way, uh, credit where credit is due, you were one of the first, if not the first, to report that this, if you will, pare down deal was in the works and ultimately what happened is WEDEC, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation was able to get this done without legislative approval because of the final number involved about $28 million I believe so the question that was immediately asked is if this could be done and if Kimberly Clark would agree to this and the number of jobs saved under that deal why did we go through this whole ordeal of this drama of the legislative session where everybody knew the votes weren't there, the extraordinary session, the votes weren't there for that bigger package? How, how did this play out, Jesse, that that smaller deal got done so quickly ap- after the session? Well, it depends on who you ask. Some people who you know put the deal together will argue if they hadn't started with the bigger deal, then they wouldn't have caught him really atten- Clark's attention in the first place, and they couldn't have moved forward with a smaller one. Um, you know, hard to say how this would have played out if, if they had gone through the process. You know, Democrats who were opposed to the larger deal sort of you know go back over that. This was a deal that would have offered Kimberly Clark uh, tax incentives at a, at a percentage rate, basically akin to what the state is offering Foxconn. Um, there were objections in the legislature, not just from Democrats, but from uh, a fair number of Republicans, which kept it from getting the votes that it would have needed to pass. And people who objected to it said, basically, you know, what? Why didn't we? Why couldn't we just do what is already available to us under um, the the Weedic agency? And that's what ended up happening at the end of the day. Um, interestingly, and, and I think um, you know this has been talked about a little bit. This is something that can be done could be done at the time that Governor yeah. Walker did it, um, but under the bills that he signed on Friday, uh, would not be able to be done without approval from the legislature anymore, thanks to those uh, extraordinary session bills. Talking with Jesse Appoint of the Cap Times Political Reporter. So I want to turn our attention, Jesse, to about 2019, 2020, what that's going to look like with divided government. I want to start here because you're in Madison and you probably have a better sense of this than I do. But I'm going to just tell you what I've been told, that prior to uh, Tony Evers running for governor, he actually had a pretty good relationship with even Scott Walker and Republican lawmakers. In fact, I had heard behind closed doors more than once, Jesse, that conservatives got a little frustrated that they couldn't get any traction in coming up with a conservative candidate for DPI because Evers had a pretty good rapport, pretty good relationship with Republicans. One, is your sense that was true prior to him running for governor? And if two, does that mean anything for what things will look like starting next year? Well, I think it is certainly true to a degree, as you mentioned. You know, there weren't really a lot of um, credible candidates that had gone against him in in DPI elections, and there's reason for it. Um, So 
yeah, I think there's a base that he's got to work with. I mean, um, he's even mentioned uh, having a good working relationship with a Republican senator like Luther Olson. So, you know, there's still some of that at play, but it's also pretty clear that based on what's happened over the last several weeks, those relationships are pretty strained right now. And um, it's, you know, kind of hard to say uh, whether this is really getting off on the wrong foot or maybe everyone will have some time to kind of cool down, come back and um, start things over. Well, when you look at, I mean, by the way, this is Wisconsin is just a microcosm of, of what you have going on on a national level between left and right, and, and you have it in other states. You know, you have um, those entities on the left. It's one Wisconsin now who attack conservatives. You have conservative talk radio attacking liberals. Uh, in essence, politics has become war on the federal level, and I think you you just half answered my next question. Can we get past that? And again, you have, I mean, and here's was probably even the bigger issue than personalities, Jesse, is Governor Walker's legacy. I don't care what anyone says. His legacy, in fact, is going to be that he's, he turned the ship of state hard right in Wisconsin. And it's hard to believe that Tony Evers doesn't want to turn that ship back around. So when you look at, okay, we want east, you want west, uh, and then throw in the personal dynamic. For me, I think it would be somewhat naive to be optimistic that anything in the terms of consensus or compromise could be done, but you're much closer to the Capitol building than I am. So what's your take? Well, everyone is still sort of promising that they are going to try to work together and reach consensus. Um, You know, Senate Minority Leader Jennifer Schilling did her end-of-year interviews with reporters last week. She talked a lot about this. She said basically, you know, it's it's a... unknown dynamic for a lot of people who are in the Capitol. You know, we, we should remember a lot of people in the Capitol, a lot of Republicans in the Capitol, haven't really had to work with Democrats. They've been used to being in, in a majority and having a Republican in the governor's office. So at this point, you know, if, if Republicans want their bills signed, they're going to need some Democratic buy-in. And if Democrats want their bills to get to the governor's desk, they're going to need some Republican buy-in. So, you know, the, the, your options are either gridlock or compromise. And at some point, that may become clear to people. But at the same time, you know, we're going to see legal challenges in the time that you and I have been talking. Uh, it's come out that some of the, the liberal groups that you mentioned are going to be filing court motions today to try to put a stop to some of the things that Governor Walker signed last week. So, you know, the, the fighting is really only just getting started in, in terms of um, negotiating what, what just went through in the last few days. One bit of tea leaf reading from you before I let you go. When you talk about compromise, and so let's face it, where the governor can put his imprimatur on policy is budget. And any any sense of what the general theme or thesis of the first Evers budget might be? I think education is the main focus. You know, that's obviously his background is education. The, The one thing that we have seen from him in terms of a budget proposal is what he introduced as DPI secretary during the election. And so that's large investments in public education, that's large investments in mental health, which is maybe an area, it has been an area in the past where Republicans and Democrats have been able to work together, that may be an area where we start to see some compromise building. All right, Jesse Poyan, political reporter for the Cap Times. Jesse, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, in two minutes, I want to set up something for the next half hour. Do people care anymore if politicians tell the truth at all? 125 News Radio WTMJ.
WTMJ and our friends at Today's TMJ4 need your help to feed the hungry. Today's TMJ4 drop off or dial an all-day holiday food drive, and we want to fill our lobby with healthy, non-perishable foods. That's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. 6A to 7P. You don't even have to get out of your car to donate. We'll have volunteers standing by to take your donation as you pull through our driveway, 720 East Capitol Drive. Stop by tomorrow to help those in need. 128, Jerry in for Jeff. I'm going to set this up ever so briefly. I'm going to say this three times. Remember Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Remember that? Okay. This is not about Donald Trump. This is not about Donald Trump. This is not about Donald Trump. But, dot, dot, dot. For the Washington Post, I concede it was about Donald Trump. For purposes of what I want from you in terms of feedback in the next half hour, this is not about Donald Trump. The headline from the Washington Post Friday would make, again, for them it was about Trump. Trump routinely says things that aren't true. Few Americans believe him. And what they get into is, now by the way, the headline is somewhat deceptive because the story is actually more balanced than that. They point out that, quite frankly, Republicans tend to believe what Trump says and Democrats tend to believe what their politicians say, but they do point out there are, of course, Trump tells a lot more lies. That's the argument. Okay, for them, that was about Trump. For me, it's one number. There is one number in this story that I find absolutely fascinating, and it is not specific to Trump. And I want to see where you fall in this number. Are you in the 71% or more like in the 40%? I'll tell you what the number is. After the news. One thirty-five News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. So I don't know if if producer Kyle has this, but Kyle, if we have a liner that says the, you may find the following material objectionable, or you may you may find it uh, disturbing as they do on the network news. I think you should have that handy the next time Melissa gives the market numbers. Oh, boy. Uh, what was the, I had it here. Where'd it go now? I, I had it handy. It's been as low as 500 at one point. At this exact moment in time, the Dow Jones Industrial Average off 382. As, boy, we just limp to the new year uh, where the markets are concerned. Now, I started this, and I do want your thoughts on this, but I want to be clear. This is not a conversation specific to President Trump. I think that that may be the inclination to believe it is and act that way it's not. And I know it will sound like it, the way that I start this out, but it isn't. And I want your thoughts on it. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. What the Washington Post did, was an unprecedented poll. And now, obviously, Donald Trump, President Trump, featured large in this poll. What they did is, uh, they talk about President Trump and some of the things he says, some of the claims he made, about uh, U.S. Steel announcing to build six more plants and others that they say, look, it's not true. 
What's more, most Americans don't believe them, according to a new Washington Post fact-checker poll. Again, let me just get to the part here, okay? Fewer than 3 in 10 Americans, including fewer than 4 in 10 Republicans, believe these or several other prominent claims by the president. So what they did was this blind test where they asked people questions. What's true? Some were from Trump, some were from Elizabeth Warren and other Democrats. Republicans tend to believe what Trump said. Democrats tend to believe what Warren and other Democrats said. For instance, 46% of adults incorrectly believe there are more people in prison for selling or possessing marijuana than for all violent crimes, an assertion made by Warren. That compares with 22% who correctly said violent criminals were more common in prison. So they went through this whole phenomenon of how people tend to believe the people with whom they agree. But here's the number that I find truly fascinating. And the one that I want to ask you about specifically. The Post poll also suggests Republicans have grown less concerned about presidents being honest than they were just a decade ago. In 2007, an Associated Press Yahoo poll found 71% of Republicans saying it is extremely important for presidential candidates to be honest. That is similar to 70% of Democrats and 66% of independents. So hold that thought. In 2007, 71% of Republicans said it is extremely important for presidential candidates to be honest And it was 70% of Democrats, 66% of independents. The new Post poll shows identical shares of Democrats and independents prioritizing honesty in presidential candidates. Okay? So, you know, 11 years later, it's still about 70% of Democrats and 66% of independents find honesty in a presidential candidate extremely important. Back then, it was 71% for Republicans. The share of Republicans who say honesty is extremely important has fallen to 49%. 22 points lower than in the AP Yahoo poll 11 years ago. Less than half. Less than half of Republicans now say honesty is is extremely important. Now, what the Washington Post extrapolates from that is even a lot of Republicans know President Trump doesn't often tell the truth, so, or often doesn't tell the truth, so Republicans now no longer care about the truth. That's, that's what they discern, what they extrapolate from that. Here's the specific question I want to ask you. Are you in the old 71%? Well, actually... You know what, I don't, want to, I don't want to keep this to people who consider themselves Republicans or conservatives. So I'll just throw this out to anybody. Do, if I were to ask you the question, honesty in presidential candidates is extremely important. Do you agree or disagree? And explain your answer. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620-140-News-Radio-WTMJ. 
143 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner all week. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Fascinating survey. Again, there are a lot of things here, but the one that I'm focusing in on is... 11 years ago, a poll found 71% of Republicans saying it is extremely important for presidential candidates to be honest. At that time, 70% of Democrats said so, 66% of independents. The new Washington Post poll shows identical shares of Democrats and independents prioritizing honesty in presidential candidates. But the share of Republicans who say honesty is extremely important has fallen to 49%. 22 points lower than the AP Yahoo poll. So I don't want to make this about President Trump. What I want to do, so and to make this work, what I am going to have to do is when I take your call, to, for this to have any significance, if you will, I need to ask if you consider yourself left-leaning or right-leaning, because otherwise the, the, this doesn't go really accomplish anything. So let's go to... Mary in Brookfield, Mary Aaron WTMJ, and if you if you don't want to answer, you don't have to answer. But can you share if you are left or right leaning, left of center or right of center? I was right of center until Trump became president, and this trend is absolutely right on. The Republicans I know don't care about character, personality, or honesty. The evangelicals have said that. Uh, McConnell has said that, and that's why I'm now an independent. Well. Okay, but here's what I find interesting. Only 66% of independents, that's actually a relatively low number, too, think well, it's extremely important. I might be important. moving to Democrat. I might be moving into, I'm hoping that maybe Senator Flake or Kasich will run okay. as independents, but, or maybe I'll be voting for a progressive conservative Democrat. Here's my argument, whether you are, and thanks a lot for the call, Mary, whether you are uh, Republican whether you are Democrat, whether you are right-leaning, whether you are center, whether you are left-leaning, I don't know how you cannot put a premium. And maybe this is the question I should ask conservatives. Do you believe that number? Do you believe the number has fallen from 71% to 49%? That might be... The problem is I didn't want to limit this to one ideology. But this might be a separate question for conservatives. Do you do you buy the Washington Post poll that the percentage of Republicans, those who identify, self-identify as Republicans, has actually fallen from 71% who put a premium on honesty, said it was extremely important in 2007, only 49%, a 22-point drop. Um, based on my personal experience, I think it's believable. And I don't, again, I don't want to make this about Donald Trump because I think it's a bigger issue here. If we don't put a premium on the truth, which is why the 49% number really concerns me, if we don't put a premium on the truth, how do we get anywhere? Here's one of the side effects. Here's one of the things that they found. People are disinclined to believe Trump when he's telling the truth. And that is not just... You know, that that's not contained to American citizens. That's contained to people all over the world. So I, you know, I think that you have an issue 
when you don't think you can believe what any president is saying. And that's, I think, the problem here. So if you have any thoughts on this, 414-799-1620, I think it's interesting to see the number drop, to see that such a change when you have a president who's considered fact-challenged, and then uh, see that 22% fewer now think it's important. I just, I, here's the thing. If less than half of any political ideology, left, right, or otherwise, for example, back in the Clinton days... There was absolute apologists for Bill Clinton. He clearly lied about, you know, specifically Monica Lewinsky and other things. That they didn't care. But what's interesting is even back, well, no, later than that, a decade later than that, 70% of Democrats said, hey, they thought it was important. 70% still think honesty is important. 71% of Republicans in 07 thought it was important. Now, only 49%. To Susan in Ozaki County. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I just want to let you know that I am a staunch Republican. I support President Trump. 100%, um, but I have seen so much deception in um, the, the, the far left side that I can't uh, even worry about what's the truth anymore because uh, the left side, uh, um, the far left, they just say anything and they call it truth. Okay? Um, I, I happen to believe when President Trump says stuff. I do, but I don't care about anybody else's opinion. Okay? I'm, I'm tired of that. Um, prove it, prove it, prove it stuff just because that's all the left wants to do. Prove it, prove it, prove it, but they don't come up with any of their own answers. There are so many people who are lying and corrupt on the far left side that I, I, it's time to push back. We're, I'm going to use the same tactics that the far left uses. And if okay, I have so to lie, you, so, okay, so you consider the left to be largely liars, so you think yes. fight fire with fire, and it's okay if everybody lies. Well, that's what everybody's doing anyway. See, that's not really true, though, Susan. I mean, politicians have always lied to, to varying degrees. But what's happening now is, well, politicians lie anyway, so I don't care if the politician I support, and again, I'm not saying exclusively Trump, I don't care if the politician I support lies because that's just the way it is. Then how do you believe anything? How do you even know what reality is if you can accept that? Um, I do my own research. I look it up and not just on Google. Well, okay, thanks a lot for the call. But, I, I mean, you can look it up on Google, which is important, but she started out by saying she, didn't, she doesn't care anymore. And I almost think that's where this is headed, that there's the belief that um, Democrats for so long got away with being dishonest. And I've heard this positioned another way 
that Democrats got away with being bullies for so long that Republicans have been out and hired their own bully. And he's much more of a bully, he's much more of an effective bully than any Democrat has ever been. Now, I know, again, the inclination here is to make this about President Trump, either for him or against him. But I think the specific question here, do you think honesty is extremely important? Irrespective of whether both sides are guilty, do you think it is extremely important, or have you just resigned yourself to everybody lies, so it doesn't matter anymore? To Eileen in Greenfield. Eileen, hi, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with the lady that just spoke. Um, I, I'm, you know, a Trump supporter. Uh, and why, why, you know, we're talking about lies today. What, what happened when President Clinton was in office? Nothing. See, and, and there's the problem, is the yeah. media is, was completely forgiving. And, and, but I don't think this is a good thing, though. So the media was completely it's forgiving of... For president Trump. It's a bad thing for our president. Now, I, I think it's a bad thing for everybody, Eileen. I think when we reach the point where we don't care about lying anymore, I think it's a bad thing. But it didn't start with pre- our, our president. Well, I didn't say it did, Eileen. You're focusing on Trump. Well, I didn't say too. it did. No, not at all, Eileen. Eileen, I'm trying desperately to say this isn't about Trump. I think when we don't care about lying anymore, it's bad for everyone. Okay, I guess I irrespective of how when you talked about President Clinton and I just said it. I said it, Eileen. Eileen, I said it two minutes ago. Yes, that's because that I said brought it up. No, I I in fact brought it up on my own. And how would you know she brought it up when you said you didn't hear it? No, I, I listened to her. I brought I, it I up. I heard it on, on you know. I, yeah, but, yeah, but two but minutes of it, you're, you're talking yourself in circles. First you said I didn't bring it up at all. Then you said, well, she brought it up. Thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. That's exactly my point. I, in fact, did bring up President Clinton. You do have to worry about who ever lies one more quickly to sherry and appleton sherry go ahead hello i'm just going to answer the people that say they are trump believers and that really really believe in trump i'm i'm not going to say i do or i don't i'm just going to say do some research do some research about what regulations have been changed since trump's been in office look at the epa look at um so many different regulations that have been changed that if anything that made common sense is being changed to go the opposite direction. I just think it's important that people really understand the facts, uh, look at the research, and really really t- take your time. It'll take you 15, 20 minutes at the most, and maybe you'll have a better picture of what's going on in this country right now. Thank you. Well, Sherry, thanks a lot for the call. And, and that's the general argument, is that, Republicans are okay with lying these days because they like the policy that's coming out of the Trump administration. That's exactly the case. All right, I'm over here. We can finish this up in just a bit. 154 News Radio WTMJ. 157. 
quick apology to the woman that called in. Didn't mean to get short with you, but I, of course I understand. I spent 15 years on the radio criticizing Democrats for lying. Absolutely. And that's right. The other lady brought up the hypocrisy, but then I specifically brought up the Clintons. Yeah. But this is not sustainable as a texter. It's, we just can't. The path that we're on isn't sustainable that we allow for lying. To John in Illinois. John, go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I, I think no lying. We can't have any lying. You know, um, sometimes people change their mind and have different opinions, but yep. the lying part. That just can't happen. And I think that most of the time, the Democratic side gets uh, the bad rap for that. I mean, I'm a Republican, and I think that some Republicans lie, some Democrats lie. The difference between the two, neither is right for doing it. But at least most Republicans will own up to it if you put their back to the wall. Now, as far as Trump goes, I think he's, I look at him as more like an independent. And I don't really put him in the Republican category, even though he ran on that ticket. Wow. He's different. But, but I, and I'm not saying it's okay. There's things he does I don't like. But I do like the direction the country is going. But uh, no lying. Come on. And if they lie, you got to vote them out. Unfortunately, John, thanks leave. a lot for the call. Thanks, thanks a lot for the call. God will let you go. Uh, that's the thing is you can accept the policy wins and say, but I can't tolerate the lying. And that I think that can you can do both of those things. All right, different direction after the news. One fifty nine News Radio WTMJ. Two oh eight. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner on this Monday after a Packer loss. And I want to talk about that. Well, not just the loss, but the, the Packers in general here. And the generational divide. You heard a little bit of this in Melissa's news. I'll get to that in just a second. Before I do that, just a final thought on the last topic. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a conservative, but I concede President Trump is more truth-challenged than a lot of recent presidents. That's just real. I mean, you don't you don't have to believe me, but it's reality nonetheless. You can you can reject that, but it's real. It's also real that when Democrats historically have been less than truthful, they just haven't been called out for it the way Republicans are. So you have this exaggerated effect. Clinton looked right into a camera and lied. But yet the wagons were circled around him. He's you know, certainly lied about other things. President Trump seems to just enjoy saying things that can be challenged over and over and over and over. And that seems to be creating a situation where a, a number of Republicans, a percent, 22%, they don't care if anybody tells the truth anymore. And that's just not sustainable, and I can never go along with that. And one of the reasons I have been critical of the president is because I have 15 years of credibility of criticizing Democrats for the same thing. Very few people on either side can say that. They tend to circle the wagons around their guy or woman. And as a result, we are just headed in a bad place. I don't care if you're left, right, up, down. But we're going to tolerate politicians that don't tell the truth, ever. 
And that's the problem, where there's not a premium on truth-telling anymore. That it's not seen as extremely important. Yes, politicians have always lied, and we've called them out for it. Not apologized for it. Or rationalized it away. As a texter put it, uh, we cannot continue on current path when lying becomes widespread. It's just, you don't have reality anymore. There's an expression, everyone is entitled to their own opinions, not their own facts. Now public opinion would suggest, oh yeah, no, you can have your own facts too. Again, I don't care who you support. That's not sustainable. All right, now, on to the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are going to finish below 500 again. The Packers are going to miss the playoffs again. Second straight season. Last year was kind of seen as a mulligan year because of the Aaron Rodgers injury. You do not have that this year. And, of course, that cost Mike McCarthy his job. You've got a future Hall of Fame quarterback, and you still aren't going to be above 500. I have, an obs- I have a couple of observations here. One, everybody is talking about the accuracy issues of Aaron Rodgers, and I think it's a perfectly valid topic. There were a couple of deep balls yesterday where it's like, what in the world? He, just, he, he didn't look like Aaron Rodgers. Uh, just not the quarterback that you've come to know. Now, there are, uh, you also have to look at extenuating circumstances here, and these are not excuses. He still doesn't have a chemistry with the young receivers. Had Randall Cobb back, but you know, still he's building that relationship. And the makeshift patchwork offensive line, you can't just pretend that's not a factor. So I am building those in when I say something still looks wrong. Even when you factor that in. I just, you know, he and everyone around him insists his mechanics are fine. Well, something, something isn't fine. Now, here's something I noticed, and again, this might be a just, is it just me type of thing. He looks when the, he folds, and what I mean is, he kind of assumes the fetal position, if you will, more quickly than I think he used to. When he gets a sense of pressure, I I mean, there are sacks that I thought he might be able to unload the ball. And instead, he gets into that, I'm going down, the fetal position, I think that's, that's accurate. Much more quickly, it, it fell. Wait a minute! You got a step or two here. Unload the ball. Could be just me. I, I I don't know. He's dealt with very serious injuries the last couple of years, and they may be taking a, a, a psychological toll. Don't know. Here's the other element. So there's Aaron Rodgers. Then there's this, and I've said this for years. Okay, I'm 57. I started watching the Packers in the 70s. I waited a long time for 1996. A long time. I was born just a little late to appreciate the Lombardi years. I was alive. But I was six when they won their last Super Bowl under, you know, under Lombardi, their last championship. So I wasn't following pro football. I think you have a generational divide in terms of how fans handle this. Here's what I mean by that. I think if you are 
Well, okay, let's say you're 50. Okay. The Farvera started 26 years ago. You were 24. To really... Do I have that right? Yeah. To really fully appreciate that... You... I mean, you're too young to remember what I call the gory years, the 70s and much of the 80s. As such, you know, the the Packers losing, consistently losing, for a lot of the fan base, that's like seeing dinosaurs roam the earth. They can't relate to it. They just can't. They've never seen the dry years. A texture. I had exactly the same experience. Too late for the Lombardi years and waited 20-some years to have a consistent winner in the Packers. But now we have, for the most, just a couple of exceptions, a couple of glitches between 1992 and 2016. Almost 25 years of totally consistent winning. The fan base is spoiled. That's not to say that I'm happy with the current state of affairs, because I'm not. And you really sense that I live in Green Bay. And you really get the sense. Like there are people who just this isn't they, they just don't get it. It just doesn't compute. How can they they have Aaron Rodgers back? How can they not win ten between ten and twelve games? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, it happens. And for the last twenty six years. You've had two future Hall of Famers at quarterback. This is going to be, if, and I'm not saying they could bounce back next year. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers calms down. They get a coach that can coach him. I don't, and, and there's all sorts of debate. Do you go with a defensive-minded coach, an offensive-minded coach? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. But I do know this. Your ability to stomach this is directly proportional to your age. Look, I, I mean, I remember five win years and four, I think four. Didn't they go four and 12 one year? Like 90, 90 or 91? I think 91, but I, I, I won't swear to that. I've seen some really dark days. Those of us 55 plus have and remember them. So, I mean, it's just this, this panicky, oh my gosh, they're losing two years in a row. It's just, it's awful. It's horrible. Well, I don't like it. But guess what? <laughs> Talk to Cleveland fans. Talk to Raider fans, although they've had success off and on, and other teams. We're just spoiled. And when I was 31 years old, when Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre arrived and Ron Wolf, never in my wildest dreams would I have thought the next 25 years were going to be a whole lot of winning. Sometimes you just have to, if not rebuild, then reload. 218 News Radio WTMJ. 
WTMJ and our friends at Today's TMJ4 need your help to feed the hungry. Today's TMJ4 drop off or dial an all-day holiday food drive, and we want to fill our lobby with healthy, non-perishable food items tomorrow, 6A to 7P. You don't even have to get out of your car to donate. How cool is that? Well, a volunteer standing by to take your donation as you pull through our driveway, 720 East Capitol Drive. Stop by tomorrow to help those in need. I want to mention, and in, in my previous radio incarnation, I would do this from time to time. Some listeners loved it. Some listeners hated it. Well, pretty much like anything you do on the radio. You're never going to please it. There are thousands of people listening. I, some are going to like something I do. Some are going to, and, you know, I'm going to do something in just a minute. But I want to finish up on the Packers topic with a couple of texts. This one, I'm a Bears fan that married a Packers fan 10 years ago. I'm a huge Aaron Rodgers fan. Needless to say, being a Bears fan, growing up in Chicago in the 80s, 90s, 2000, I've had my decades of dry spells. This is a blip. They'll get back on track next year. Uh, We'll see. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I do tend to agree it's more of a reload than a rebuild. And then this text. This is what happens when you let a guy like Ted Thompson have control of your team unchecked for a decade because of a lucky Super Bowl run in 2010. His last eight years of drafts are littered with busts. I do not disagree with that. He signed no one to shore up the team. The likes of Colin Kaepernick, Russell Wilson, and Matt Ryan destroyed us in the playoffs. We were still counting on Rodgers to Cobb ten years later. Old, antiquated, bad is what they are. Ah, an overstatement. There is some truth in that, though. I think the biggest mistake in a long, long time, passing on T.J. Watt. I, I just think that was a huge, huge mistake. All right, I want to uh, let you know what's going to happen after 2.30 we're going to have, uh, I'm going to have with me in the studio, State Representative, State Senator-elect Andre Jacques. I'm going to guess that the name doesn't mean a lot to the average WTMJ listener. You, If you're a political wonk, you probably know the name. Um, in fact, I just got a text. Uh, Andre is here in the lobby. I will get, I will get to Andre uh, when we get into the news. But... Um, he has an interesting story to tell in terms of, at least I want him to tell that story. Andre, state representative, he's now state senator-elect, he took one of the more circuitous routes to becoming a state senator. We'll talk about that. I also want to talk about a bill of his that did not get a vote in the Senate last year. It is, it is a fascinating story. It is a bill that essentially criminalizes animal sexual assault in Wisconsin. You may not know, you would be shocked, and I mean literally shocked, at some of the things that are not felonies where that behavior is concerned. And there's just, I just think there's a lesson in politics on why that didn't happen. Will that happen this session? And talk with Andre. Just, there's just a lot of political dynamic that was going on in northeast Wisconsin that the average WTMJ listener, I think, knows very, very little about. 
and I just thought that it would be good to have him on. We will do that after 2.30. Now, because of that, there's all sorts of things that um, I have left on the table that I want to get to tomorrow. I do first want to mention tomorrow at 12.08, we have Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald on. And he'll be talking about, well, I, I do want to talk about the lame duck. I also don't want to talk, he's obviously going to be on the front lines when it comes to divided government. He and Robin Voss, the titular heads of the Republican Party, with no longer a, a Republican governor, and how they will coexist peacefully or not with Governor-elect Tony Evers. Also, and I am told, Jeff just did a few minutes on this. I want to open the lines tomorrow. We're going to do this tomorrow. Gannett did this long piece. I don't want to say expose. That would be, that's not what it was. I don't know, an essay, I guess, on Quick Trip. Now, I am from northeast Wisconsin. Producer Kyle is from central Wisconsin, you can't swing a stick without hitting a quick trip up there. And quick trip is attempting to do that, as you may know, in southeast Wisconsin and, and has run into opposition from local governments in some cases. But what the piece essentially does is attempt to Walmartize quick trip. And what I mean by that is this. Quick trip has become the evil empire of convenience stores in Wisconsin. They're too big, too successful, and they push out the little guy, the mom and pop. Which, in fact, they do force a lot of smaller ones, smaller convenience stores, gas stations, out of business. Should they be penalized for that? I think it's a fascinating question. Also tomorrow, an incredible story of what happened at the funeral of a young person who committed suicide. And the question's being asked, should the priest who presided over that funeral, should he continue to be a priest? It's an amazing story. So a lot of stuff already in the queue for tomorrow, and who knows what the news will bring between now and then. 227 News Radio WTMJ. The Red Hot Milwaukee Bucks continue their surge through the NBA this time, uh, hoping for a victory against the Pistons in Motown. Ted Davis on the call. Our coverage from Detroit starts with Buck Shots at 5.30 tonight. 2.35 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. I feel like a guy in Vegas. I'm here all week, folks. Try the veal. There is no veal, but I am here all week. Uh, Jeff, actually... Jeff has called it a show for 2018. Uh, he's Christmas Eve and day, he's off. I will not be here Christmas Eve and day. Uh, I will be here this week, Wednesday through Friday next week, and then New Year's Eve, uh, because I could. So and it's always a pleasure filling in for Jeff. Joining us now, a name not well known to Southeast Wisconsin audiences, but uh, certainly a personal friend and uh, someone who has served Wisconsin well, State Representative and State Senator-elect Andre Jacques, Republican. Andre, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Jerry. It's great to be on the program. Hey, great great to have you. So I mentioned, I teased, uh, while you were patiently waiting in the lobby, I, I teased 
I don't know how many people who aren't political wonks really know that what happened, they may have heard something about special elections somewhere in part of the state that didn't impact them, first state senate district in northeast Wisconsin, in which your assembly seat district lies, so you ran for that seat. I don't want to say it was political drama, but it was interesting. It was close. It was interesting. A quintet of Republican lawmakers, state representatives, supported your primary opponent. And I'm not saying they said this. And a lot of people wouldn't say it publicly. But Andre can't win. Andre can't win. Andre can't win. Look, we just got to be real here. Andre can't win. And I said, well, what are you going to do when he wins? Uh, okay, that's great. But what if, but what if he does? Now, you, you did lose the special election to Caleb Frostman, mm-hmm. uh, who may hold the record for the shortest stint to, you know, in, in the state Senate. But then, and, and I'm, don't take this the wrong way, but I actually was surprised by your margin of victory. For a guy who couldn't win, you won by 10 points. Right, ten points, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah nine, ten points. Yeah, yeah. nine, not quite. Uh, Fifty-five-ish, forty-five-ish in, yeah. in that range. Given what happened in the special election, and that basically there were those in the Republican Party that said he can't win, were you surprised by that margin of victory in a night that was big elsewhere, you know, statewide for Democrats? And what do you attribute it to? Well, you know, we were working really hard, and we had quite a few folks that were. Uh, uh, you know, just a huge honor to have so many supporters that were there right by my side, knocking on doors, and I think we really outworked Frostman at so many different events and parades and things throughout the district. And really, you know, we uh, well, I knew that I had a, a really solid base from my time in the assembly. Those folks were great ambassadors and getting a larger turnout in the fall. Uh, but in the first and the third districts, just getting better known and and knowing that it was going to be difficult for some of the uh, the enthusiasm that. They they had for uh, a lower turnout election. I mean, we were really drastically outspent in, well, of course, the special primary as well as the special election. And that was something where we were much closer to parity in the fall. And, uh, and of course, we just never stopped working. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you did hear some of the folks that um, were saying Andre can't win or, or, you know, it just makes you work a little harder. Well, which now I heard a couple of things, and and some of this is off the record. Some of it was on the perception that you were too conservative for parts of the district, particularly Door County. And I specifically heard pro-life that they felt that. I, well, because I and you know that you and I are, are lockstep on that issue. Speak to where there are those who are fiscal conservatives, but more socially liberal, who say. We conservatives, we just, we've got to drop that issue. That's a loser for us. How do you respond to that? You know, I, I really don't come across that a lot. And, and I think partly oh, wow. because, you know, I, 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 well, okay, where you come across it a lot, I think, are the insiders, the folks that might lobby on particular issues or even some of my colleagues. You know, we've had some heated discussions in caucus before. But, I mean, my, my issue positions really aren't out of step with the district or northeast Wisconsin. I think it might certainly, you know, it's a pro-life district that I represent. And something that, uh, you know, certainly there was hyperbole that people rightly saw as, you know, way out there in terms of uh, some of the, the left uh you, know, you, you were seen as too socially conservative by some. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think people were saying that I was too socially conservative, too fiscally conservative, because, I mean, yeah, the, yeah I, I do a lot of legislation. A lot of it isn't particularly partisan if you're talking about human
human trafficking or other criminal justice initiatives. But then you get to things like you know, right to work and prevailing wage repeal, and of course the pro-life issues where I've been been front and center. And and yeah, I've had a maybe a, a larger uh, profile on on some of those issues that make some people uncomfortable. But the reality is, when you look at at actual voting behavior, and study after study is borne out that the majority of people who vote on the pro-life issue as their key issue vote for Republicans. So it, it is something where you're, you're not going to win over some folks, but it is something where uh, I, I think people just see me as sincere, and, and I'm not pandering to folks. I mean, I've always been where I've always been on, on any of these issues, and, um, you know, you just have to be able to explain that, and, and you know, does it mean that, you know, some of the, the strongest uh, advocates for abortion within the state capitol I've worked with on a host of other issues as well. And, and so, you know, I think what I've shown over my time in the legislature is I can work with anybody, and I've been able to get some pretty significant results from my constituents, and, and that matters to folks. But I don't think that I am too conservative on, on the life issue or, or social issues in general. Um, and, it, you know, I, again, just proud to uh, stand up for my beliefs. Talking with the state representative and state senator-elect Andre Jacques, in two minutes I want to share a story of a bill that Andre championed, that I bet uh, if you live in the southeast Wisconsin area, you know nothing about, but you should. 241 News Radio WTMJ. Two forty four News Radio WTMJ Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Talking with State Representative Andre Jacques. Alright, we are going to discuss an issue. Andre is from the Green Bay area. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of reasons I wanted to introduce him a little further to southeast Wisconsin. One, because I had the interesting story about how he came state senator. I became state senator, which we just shared. But there was an episode. Uh, this, this, gosh, it was still this year, right? I mean, it's, yeah, oh, man. Um, the late former state senator Mike Ellis, God rest his soul. And I want to take this moment to say that I treated Mike very badly on a couple of occasions, and he was on with an Appleton host, and he had an opportunity to just rip me, and he was gracious. I mean, he, I, I, I apologized via the host on instant message, and the host related. Mike had a little fun with me on the air, but it, but it was not mean-spirited at all, and he said, all is forgiven. And I will first, before we explain why Mike Ellis is important, I think Andre he got something of a bad rap, a little abrasive in in but but as and and by the way from me uh among others but he was uh as great a public servant and cared about the people he served as you will ever find. Would you agree with all of that? Very genuine person. Yeah. You know, I I uh you could say a lot of things about uh Mike Ellis but he was Blunt to a fault, and yes. uh, yeah, I, I'm very pleased to have gotten to know the man. Uh, but he appeared, and, and I'll and I'll say who he appeared on Josh Duclos' show on WHBY in Appleton, and this was as the legislative session was winding down. And that's hard to believe it was just in May. It feels like it was a long time ago. Well, a lot has happened since then, but. You had championed a bill in the assembly. Now, help me with the facts. Did it pass on voice vote? In uh, I the assembly? It, it passed unanimously in committee and then on voice vote in the full assembly. Uh, ultimately, uh, passed unanimously in the Senate committee. 
but then uh, was not taken up. Okay, and that's where we're going with this. So the it that we're referring to here is a bill, it, it would make a felony, right? The, the behavior in question? Correct, yeah. And, and, and behavior in question is sexual abuse of animals. This is all built around one individual whose name is infamous in northeast Wisconsin. This will likely mean little to you in southeast Wisconsin unless you're a horse owner and you pick up on, on the blogs and, and the message boards and so on. Sterling Rockwell, this guy is a serial horse abuser to the point where horse owners would keep guns handy because this guy can't stay incarcerated because these are misdemeanors. So Andre championed a bill that would and start with not just to one animal. This should be a felony, uh, you know, for for any well, type. And, and there, there there were uh, there were copycat. There were other yes. individuals. Rockwell was simply the most notorious because he had moved around to different parts of the state where he wouldn't be known. And then, so actually, at the time that I proposed the legislation, he had cases pending in both Brown and Manitowoc at the same time. Expensive horses had to be destroyed mm -hmm. because of this guy. So I, I, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, I know it's not easy to hear, but it is what it is. So this got to the Senate, but did not get to the Senate floor for a vote. Mike Ellis, on Josh's show, said that this bill did not get a vote because of you. That there were those in the states and the powers that be that did not want to give you this win in advance of the primary for the state Senate. That, and, and I mean... I there are people who say that Mike probably had that right. Do you think that happened? You know, I, I uh, Mike talks to a lot of folks, and uh, yeah, he said he talked to people in a position to know. Yeah, and, and there are certainly former senators that he was in very regular contact with right up until he passed. So, um, you know, I actually have talked to other senators who believe that to be the case um, because there were certainly other bills that didn't pass or almost didn't pass that uh, that I had authored and um, felt like that was a, a, a contributing factor. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, this was something that obviously Mike was very close to as being, uh, you know, embedded within the, the horse community. And uh, yeah. this was something that, that really, I mean, it was very thoroughly vetted. We ran the traps. We had a very broad coalition. And, and it actually was, it was a very disturbing sort of a crime when you think about it. I mean, there really was a loophole that was even... A, a, the, the penalty itself was a slap on the wrist for Sterling Rockwell, but in many cases there was a, just a natural defense that defense attorneys would be able to raise in any case where this was charged um, that we've, we, you know, well, hopefully we'll, we'll close, but it's just the, the most stomach-churning, you know, how use of an implement sort of thing. That, that I mean, I couldn't believe it when I, I talked to two different county district attorneys on the need for this legislation but uh yeah i i was caught off guard actually because you never want to think that i mean you didn't have any reason to believe it wasn't going to get a vote on the senate floor did you i, I just you know it would have been a unanimous voice vote there's no reason that i mean had run into no no controversy any, right yeah no i mean i i kind of asked around to the committee chair and others and, and i think it'd been clear that there was no no known opposition i i think the closest i heard was that the the stomach uh, the the I guess the the issue matter might be uh, something that people wanted to stay away from. Um, 
I don't buy that. I don't buy that, that necessarily buy either, that but that was... That they were embarrassed to talk about it? I thought that was an embarrassing cover I, I story, think, obviously, to Obviously, we're talking about it a lot more about yeah. the fact that it didn't pass than if it has. So what do you... Now, you mentioned hopefully. So I, I recall them saying, oh, we'll pass this in January when we don't think Andre Jacques is going to be there anymore. They didn't say that part out loud. But what do you see for the prospects of this bill? And again, this isn't just horses. I want people to understand yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, certainly it's it's the sort of legislation that there really was no reason not to pass it before, and I don't expect that there's anything that's changed with that now. So I would I would imagine that we'll be able to get it through the, the process. It just, uh, you know, it's always frustrating when you get very close to the finish line and it, it, you don't have the opportunity to see it through just because... Uh, you have to sometimes bring people back to testify at hearings again. You have to replicate the rest of the legislative process. And I can tell you that we had uh, people who testified where it was a very emotional thing, where they were basically crying as they were testifying, uh, yeah. re- relating you know either damage done to, to animals or uh, acts that they were basically forced to participate because there's kind of, uh, you know, again, yeah. just very disturbing stuff that relates to this that, uh, you know, Talk, yeah. Talking with State Representative Andre Jacques, he will be State Senator Andre Jacques come January, and I want to finish up with that. Uh, I asked uh, political reporter Jessa Poyan this earlier in the show, what's your, I don't want to say prediction, but what's your sense on what divided government will look like and the ability for Republican-led legislator both houses working with Governor Tony Evers? Well, certainly I have a, a long list of bills that I do think that uh, the governor ha- would would very likely sign if they get to his desk. I mean, whether or not they get to his desk is still an open question, but I think that uh, you know there are certainly bills that he also would have to justify why he wouldn't sign. But uh, I think that there's still the opportunity on just a, a broad cross section of issues to be able to find common ground. I mean, this is the the 95% or, or greater, many times greater, uh, of the bills that are passed by the legislature with bipartisan support that are signed by the governor. Um, but, you know, the, the partisan stuff, uh, you know, and, and really the big question is going to be the budget. Yes. That's the only bill that has to pass every biennium, and, uh, you know, you're basically going to see uh, a starting point from the governor and then the legislature rewrite that, but with a lot of, uh, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Education focus, do you think, given where he's coming from, or any other sense on what the first Evers budget might look like? Well, I, I think it, it might actually be almost kind of a fantasy that isn't grounded too much in reality, just because you're going to see him knowing that that what he is going to put forward isn't going to be what he's going to have to to pass at the end of the day. There's going to be a lot of negotiation in between, but there are all sorts of things that are either tax increases or he will find some way to claim that they are not tax increases but uh you know or things like the uh, the medicaid expansion money we've seen on the assembly floor how they've used that same medicaid expansion to pay for about 25 different things and of course there's real limitations on how that money could even be used even if it were to be accepted but uh you know it would put us on the hook for certainly other things in the future that we'd have to build in so i just don't see um i don't i i, I think you're going to see two visions that are pretty far apart in terms of what's going to be proposed by the governor and what's going to be put forward by the legislature and i just i don't really see how we necessarily get to uh, to that solution you know we'll see who blinks uh, we'll see what there's some some uh, 
bipartisan support on, but it's, you know, that's always interesting because I can think back to when, uh, was it 2003, when there was a basically a, the only way that that budget bill passed the state senate was because Gary George gave his vote to it, and we later found there were some kickbacks in there for a it was a Hmong community center that never actually got built, sort of a thing. So, all right, we are out of time. State Representative Andre Jacques, soon to be state senator. Thanks for joining us. Been great. Thanks, Jerry. Two fifty four News Radio WTMJ.